You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. As the Bucks have another bullsy game and win, even though it was close for a, a lot longer than we would have liked. Frank, what, what do you even want to get into first here? There were some interesting quotes from the, the post-game in regards to the officiating of Giannis again, which continues to be a talking point. But as I said, another kind of strange win against the Bulls. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I would say another, uh, maybe not overly inspiring victory. <laughs> uh, winning uh, 115-101 in Chicago. Obviously, you know, whatever. I mean, it, I think if you're offered a double-digit road win, uh, you, you gladly take that regardless of, of where it comes. But uh, But yeah, this game was... Um, got a bit tighter uh, than you would have liked there in the fourth quarter. Kobe White reprising his role from last week uh, in terms of hitting some threes did not did not get off to the same fast start. He ended up with just uh, 13 points on 15 shots. But um, Bucks or the Bulls actually took what a, a one point lead at one point in this game, yeah. uh, late kind of midway through the fourth quarter. And um, you know, credit to the Bucks, they uh, took that uh, as uh, a bit of a wake up call. And, uh, you know, Giannis with his customary 33 and 10 nearly missed his first <laughs> double double of the season. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm coming down with something. Uh, Giannis continues to suffer from free throw flu. Uh, he <laughs> hit five out of 12 tonight, just short arming stuff left and right. The art, the kind of high arcing stuff that he started in uh, Orlando that seemed to work for a few games. He's, either his muscle memory has just lost it entirely or he's just forgotten it or, or whatever. But um, certainly as much as the three point shooting continues to be solid, uh, he hit two out of six tonight, including two out of his first three. Uh, the free throw issues uh, are, we thought maybe they were improving and now they are regressing again. So that makes me feel really negative and eight turnovers for Giannis, including I haven't had anybody show me evidence to the contrary, but he had five fouls tonight, and I believe all of them were offensive. Is that am I? Ma- did, I saw you your tweet. Otherwise? I saw your I, tweet. I, and I, I didn't go through the play by play. I mean, I I remember four clearly in my head. So yeah, uh, I mean, it, it would. I I can't remember him being called for another one. There were interestingly enough, there was one foul that certainly. Uh, Paschke on, on the call thought it was going to be on Giannis and so did I and Brooke Lopez ended up picking it up which you know in the end when he ends up with five fouls was maybe a critical call that did go his way because not much else did <laughs> yeah I mean uh, you know I mean the, 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 the offensive fouls and the turnovers are, are pretty out of control this year and you kind of tack on the 
the free throw problems. I mean, it's, it's kind of wild. I mean, obviously overall, he's still, you know, nobody's questioning his, his overall impact, but there's, there's still so much that can be cleaned up from uh, even the, the very high level of play that he's at right now. I mean, I, I made a joke today, which made me sad, sad to make this joke, but um, you know, I, I said maybe when he was talking about being at 60% of his potential, he was talking about his free throw shooting. <laughs> and unfortunately it's probably right about 60% right now uh, after the five of 12 effort tonight. Um, I think that's obviously just, mental I, I don't know I mean he seems kind of hopeless right now and that that really dates back to uh, you know especially the Toronto series last year where you know I, I really didn't trust him uh, at any point uh, especially on the road um, to go to the free throw line and so just just odd especially with his three-point shot shooting you know looking better the fact that he still just looks like he has the complete yips at the foul line is just strange but um, you know still even with that um, there's just so little that, that you can do with him, <laughs> you know, whether you're Larry Markin or Thad Young, um, you pretty much have to hope for a whistle because either it's going to be an offensive foul and he does not get much benefit for the doubt on those. Or, uh, if you foul him, obviously you like your odds better sending him to the line than, than if he's, you know, getting a, a shot at the rim or, or even from three now. So, um, so yeah, an interesting kind of very up and down game from Giannis, but, um, I think, the supporting cast was interesting. I mean, Bledsoe was, was very bad tonight, um, completely reversing the performance he had against the Bulls the other day where he just got in the paint at will, just two out of 11 tonight, did have five assists. But um, Brooke Lopez, uh, old school Brooke Lopez, once again, coming up big. We saw, you know, we mentioned this on a few occasions this year. He has uh, shown us flashes of his old self. He has 19 points, 10 rebounds, five blocks again tonight, um, going down into the paint, especially when, uh, Giannis went out of the game at a couple points in the second half. He was great. Uh, George Hill, we mentioned he had a couple of very bad shooting games after uh, starting the season off so well. He comes back with 18 points, including four out of seven from three. And um, the young guys, well, Sterling Brown hit his first two threes and then missed his next four. So I don't know if we can say that he had a, a great game, but another six assists tonight for Sterling and a plus 28 night. And Dante DiVincenzo, 15 points on five out of nine shooting, including three out of six threes. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, as much as Giannis obviously piled up the, the stats, I think you look up and down uh, the box score. Encouraging that, you know, I thought last week was kind of like, all right, well, they were really going to need Giannis and Bledsoe to carry them night in and night out without Chris. But uh, I think in a weird way, the fact that they, you know, Bledsoe has not played well the past couple of games, they've still come out with double-digit road wins. Again, granted, not exactly the strongest competition. Um, I think it speaks well of sort of the, the malleability roster and the fact that you can have some of these other guys stepping up, especially some of these young guys, as well as uh, uh, an old man like, uh, like Brooke Lopez. Yeah. No, and just first of all, I wasn't going to mention, you, you did say to me uh, just before we started recording that you were not feeling too well or starting to come down with something. So this is officially the flu pod for That's Frank pod, Madden. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty inspirational performance by you to, to, to even be here. <laughs> For the record, I did get my flu shot. So, you know, get your flu shot, everybody. My wife sick, got sick with something. Now I'm coming down with something. Uh, but, you know, Kane, I, I, uh, I said we were going to do this pod, and, and you, you and the listeners just mean too much to me. 
<laughs> oh man, I, I truly appreciate that. But a couple of things. I, first of all, I was wondering today when I was watching the, the game and I thought about this because I tweeted about Dante and Sterling and, and the impact they were having, particularly as you mentioned when with Bledsoe, just two for 11 from the, uh, from, from the field, just a real non-factor at all offensively. And I tweeted at halftime with uh, those two that they had 21 points combined, four rebounds and four assists. And they really went on with it in the second half. I feel like we need a name for these two. Uh, I don't know what it is, um, but they both bring something unique to this team. Again, Dante today came up with a couple of steals. Uh, Sterling seriously nearly pops the basketball every time he grabs a rebound. Uh, we know that he's got a really high rebounding rate uh, for a wing. I think Marcus Johnson actually tweeted uh, something about this or his rebounding percentage. And, and it's, it's right up there. It's elite for, for players at his um, position. But those two, again, I mean, as you mentioned, when you got Middleton out and particularly when we looked at the first game that they played against Chicago, they were both really, really bad. And now they've had two uh, consecutive, um, you know, really good performances where they've, they've, given big minutes and it's interesting to look at Wes Matthews uh, I tweeted it out he had the Tony Snell line tonight uh 17 minutes doesn't get a shot up in 17 minutes one rebound one assist one steal plus 16 um so I don't know maybe I should call that the George Hill line actually I don't know if it's a Tony Snell line when you when you pretty much have zero stats and then have a huge plus minus on the game but yeah, I mean, Dante and Sterling brought something tonight that uh, was was missing with, with two of your starters virtually having zero impact. Yeah, and I, I mean, <clears throat> it's interesting comparing to last year. I mean, you know, Wes Matthews nominally takes over the, the Malcolm Brogdon role. And, um, you know, we've seen obviously Brogdon get a, a bump in his numbers, although his numbers have come down a bit of late. I think he's under 20 points a game now um, on the season. But um, yeah, I mean it's it's hard when you're the fifth guy, yeah, in this starting five to get a lot of touches. And I think the offense—I don't think the offense has ever been as Giannis-centric as it is right now. You know, especially with Chris out, um, you know, every every possession is Giannis screening or Giannis in the post or Giannis trying to create something from up top. And I'm not going to argue with that, you know. Um, but in terms of what that means for everybody else. Uh, I don't know. I guess, you know, Wes Matthews is not being able to get shots up. I, I don't know how much of that is like defense is still paying enough attention to him that he's not being left open. I guess maybe he's part of it. He's obviously not a guy that can create his own shot. Um, and it just, for whatever reason, just when the Bucks do, uh, do get in their offense, the ball is, is not moving and, and not finding him open for, for looks. Um, he did have one opportunity. Giannis gave him a great, uh, I think it was a bounce pass uh, cutting through the lane and uh, he got stripped on his way up. So no official shot on that. Um, so that, that's my one uh, random, Hey, West Matthews almost scored moment of the game. <laughs> um, hard to believe he had, he had 13 free throw attempts against his team last week. Um, that just looks like all the more outlier, even though it looked at the time like a big outlier, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about, about Matthews. I mean, certainly, um, you know, if, if Dante, and again, I, I you know, we'll see kind of how Dante's consistency ends up. Obviously, his last two games have been very encouraging. The games before that, not so much. Um, so he's been very up and down. I imagine, you know, just based on 
kind of the style he plays. I mean, again, if, if he's getting the ball in, in transition and getting steals, things like that, he's going to obviously probably have a bigger night. Obviously, he fits in threes, uh, but that kind of comes and goes. So uh, hopefully he can continue to do this. And then obviously I think the question becomes, uh, you know, hopefully Chris Middleton comes back sooner rather than later, then what do you do? Uh, you know, I, I think we obviously preseason. You know, we pegged the over-under on West Matthew starts at 48 because that's the fewest he had since I think his rookie year. Uh, we just sort of took the over based on Bud's sort of uh, stubbornness to a large extent uh, and just figuring that West would, would at least hit spot-up threes and, and defend somewhat. Um, but he's just not even able to get shots off. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the Tony Snell parallels are are hilarious if they weren't. So, uh <laughs> uh, I don't know. They're a little, a little too poignant, a little too, a uh, little too, it's a little too close to home. Although obviously the fact that you're paying less, you know, 2 million bucks rather than 11 million makes it uh, a lot more palatable, but certainly uh, Dante as well as Sterling, I think uh, obviously making a case for continued major roles in this, uh, in this rotation, both of them play, uh, let's see, 25 minutes for Sterling off the bench, 29 for Dante starting, uh, you know, they deserve that. And I think, I don't know. I mean, if if let's say this, I mean, let's not assume that Dante scores 15 points every night, that West scores no points every night. But if you know, kind of the season progresses as we've been seeing it, do you think there's a a chance that Dante stays in the starting five and and West is is forced to go to the bench, or do you think Bud is going to be very patient with West and kind of continue to give him these spot starter minutes? Yeah, that's that's basically what I was going to eventually come to because I think when we spoke about this preseason, and it might have been during those sort of those over and under episodes where, as you said, it was at 48 for Wes. Part of my my reasoning for thinking that Wes is fine in the starting lineup is because he can have a night like that tonight. And it doesn't, re- I mean, it's kind of weird, but it doesn't really matter. And particularly when you have Chris Middleton playing, like Wes isn't out there that, to... I mean, you don't want him shooting a lot. Like, he's going to have random weird games where he's going to hit four or five threes. But I think as the fifth starter, the role is so limited anyway that I'm not sure whether Dante even really makes sense when you have all those other guys that can actually score because I I, I think, and, and Dante certainly does other stuff defensively and, and we know he rebounds well and he, may, he does all these small plays. He just does stuff. But I, I think his value could be when I was watching him tonight. And even though he did start, I think his value could be as that bench gunner that the bucks don't really have. And a guy that, that can play with the second unit and maybe with a guy like George Hill. And then also uh, Brooke Lopez in those type of lineups without Giannis that you can put him in there. And if he becomes more of that consistent scorer, then he becomes a really reliable second unit guy. Uh, that when you look at the other the good teams and, and automatically you think about the Clippers and a guy like Lou Williams, I'm not saying clearly that Dante is at the level of Lou Williams, but that's the type of player I think he can be for this team and Sterling as well. So I personally am not too worried if Wes isn't producing offensively or getting up a bunch of shots. I mean, it's kind of weird, but it's also not, it's not a requirement for him for this team to be good. The, the, the numbers with the starting lineup are still excellent, and Wes has been fine defensively. So, I, I, for me, I don't think that there would be any real urgency to put uh, Dante or Sterling, whoever it may be, in the starting lineup. I, I don't feel like that's a necessity.
Yeah, I mean, uh, here's the thing, though. I mean, to to not be able to get any shots up, to not find ways to it's play strange. off of Giannis's <laughs> gravity. I mean, that's not a positive. Like, you no. know, I don't. I, I, we can't spin not taking a lot of shots and not missing shots as, as a positive. If, if you just are kind of just out there, you know, uh, kind of picking daisies on the offensive end. And, and I don't know. I mean, I'll leave it to someone who understands the game better than I do to maybe dig into a little bit more of the film on what Wes is or isn't doing. Um, and obviously, you know, some of it is probably, there is a positive aspect of it. Like I said, I mean, people are not necessarily going to totally cheat off of Wes Matthews just because they know that he wants to shoot threes and he's obviously has a track record of, of being a solid three point shooter. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, if it's a meritocracy, then I think certainly Dante's making a case to, to, you know, keep a spot when Chris comes back, especially because uh, Chris being a small forward or, you know, obviously like a bigger wing, um, you know, you shield Dante a little bit more versus, uh, you know, if, I mean, like playing with Wes, obviously that's, that's a relatively small two, three combination, even though Wes, I would say plays a little bit bigger than, than, you know, being a six, four guy. Uh, so I, yeah, it's definitely something to watch. I mean, there's still, you know, for better or worse, there's probably still at least a couple of weeks here of, uh, sample size that we're going to get before, um, you know, before this becomes, uh, a decision that Mike Boone is going to have to make, but, uh, you know, again, competition for positions is uh, is nothing but a positive. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe maybe Wes and, and Robin Lopez are just uh, spending too much time working on their pregame like WrestleMania moves, uh, which uh, I don't know if people have seen it. Go go check out the, the Bucks Twitter feed. Uh, there's been some uh, pregame hijinks the past couple games uh, with Wes and, and Rolo playing kind of center central role. Rolo in particular, just being the guy that gets a uh, Drop kick by Giannis and uh, body slam by by West today. Uh, I don't know. I feel like these guys are too old to be screwing around like that. I feel like West, you know, when you're over thirty, you, you can't be like fake, uh, you know, pinning guys and, and doing stuff. I, I, I worry a little bit, but we saw Robin sporting a black eye today, which yeah. I'm going to assume is not related to that. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, a couple of guys who you know, Robin plays just six minutes tonight. Ironically, hit a three. Um, but he's obviously been on the, you know, increasingly on the fringes of the rotation, typically not seeing minutes in the second half as Bud has gone increasingly to Giannis surrounded by four shooters lineups with, with Sterling often playing as the foreman. Um, so that's, I think, been in a continued interesting sort of uh, evolution of Bud's rotations. And uh, we even saw some Giannis at center and switch everything uh, action in the second quarter today, which is mm-hmm. pretty rare that you see Bud going to, I mean, he'll go to all like all switch lineups in the third quarter. If they're getting like blown out, they need to do something different. And the team's like, you know, the team's just shooting over top of them or in the fourth quarter, you know, if it's like a pick and roll problem and they're not, they're not getting over screens or something like that. But to see them do that in the second quarter of a game where it's not like they were, I mean, I don't even know if they were losing at the time. Um, you know, it was reasonably close at least. Uh, that was interesting, and I mean, I'm all for regular season experimentation, so I think it's actually pretty interesting to see them go to these smaller lineups with Giannis at center. Uh, I think maybe less necessary most nights with, with Brooke and the way he can space the floor, but um, something I think is definitely at least interesting to watch, especially given Ursan has been bad, uh, and, and obviously Robin has 
you know, not exactly been a guy who, you know, has made a strong case for, for extended minutes, especially when Giannis is out there. Yeah, I thought the switching is interesting, as you said, because we, we spoke in, in the offseason about, well, okay, we know what happened against the Raptors. The Bucks didn't really try anything last year. It was basically like, well, we're going to go out, we're going to steamroll you, Giannis is going to be too good. The Bucks are going to win. To see that, as you said, in, in a game that the Bucs weren't struggling. I mean, when, it, when I think about the Bucs going to the switching defense last year, the team that comes to mind is is Charlotte, which you yeah. know, with, with Kemba Walker, they, they had to do yeah. it all the time. And that was when they were in real trouble in a game and they were trying to win. Um, so to see it in a, in a non-critical situation, I mean, for a regular season game, however, I don't know if you want to go use the word critical, but uh, yeah, I thought it was, it was interesting to see, as you said, and, and something to watch moving forward. Even this year, they haven't done a lot of it, but I mean, there were some... The Bucks were being exploited a little bit defensively with the with the the lob, and it's kind of weird because with the Bucks, with the way that the Bucks defend the pick and roll, and we spoke about this so much, but they're they're susceptible to teams throwing lobs. If if you can get Brook Lopez, not that he ever comes that far out of the restricted area, but you can get him to a position where he's vulnerable, where if you have a guy cutting baseline, uh, you can throw a lob. And Gafford, who by the way had never thrown up a shot in an NBA game before tonight uh, was just <laughs> seemed to be getting a lob on, on every second possession in this one. Uh, he, as I said, zero points in his NBA career before tonight. He finishes with 21 points on 10 for 12 shooting. And every time I see a team do this, it feels like it happens every like six or seven games, seven or eight games where the Bucks get four or five uh, lobs against them. And I, and I wonder why more teams don't do that, but, it was certainly an effective play for the for the Bulls in this one, who actually outscored the Bucks in the in the paint, fifty to forty six overall. But in the first half, when Gafford was playing really well, they outscored the Bucks thirty two to twenty two. Which, when you think about the game last week and the dominance the Bucks had in the paint, this was quite the role reversal. I will remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by my bookie. Use your basketball knowledge to prove you have what it takes at mybookie.ag, where they make it easy to play and even easier to get paid. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA and mybookie will match 50% of your first deposit. Listening on the go? If you can't visit mybookie right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at lockedonpodcasts.com slash offers. That's lockedonpodcasts.com slash offers. Yeah, it's interesting because Chicago ends up with a 50-46 paint point edge, but they shoot 43% on twos. Bucks shoot 56% on twos. Uh, and perhaps you know, most importantly, the, the foul line, 24 out of 35 for the Bucks. Poor percentage there, mainly because of Giannis. But uh, they end up being a plus 13 in terms of free throw line points. Chicago just 11 out of 14 uh, overall. Bucks 16 fouls, uh, Bulls 25. And so, you know, again, that's an area, obviously, the Bucks mean managing fouls, not, not putting teams on the line. That was obviously a big strength last year. It was an issue early this season. Um, so maybe that, you know, I think we mentioned that that's been coming around a little bit. The referees didn't seem interested in calling anything uh, in Indiana uh, the other night. So I don't think, uh, I think both teams were under 10 free throws there. So, uh, you know, still one of those things, even though that pain point number did, interestingly, completely reverse since, uh, since last week. Uh, you know, not necessarily 
uh, you know, the Bucks did have the, they'd hit three more threes than Chicago, but uh, you can track a lot of their, you know, a lot of the benefit that they had this game to, uh, to, to the foul line, which is funny because Giannis picking up five offensive fouls, turning it over eight times. Um, talked to Eric name after the game about kind of, not saying anything, but sort of saying stuff by calling out the number of cuts on his on his <laughs> arms, um, you know, for just kind of subtly hint at things. And Brooke Lopez being a little, a little more direct, you know, sort of you know questioning how Giannis gets officiated the way he does. But uh, you know, again, I think uh, Giannis is still going to get a, probably a lot of free throws. You know, even if he doesn't necessarily get a good whistle, I think. For me, a lot of it is just some of these like offensive fouls, you know, I mean, just like slapping hands away. Like he didn't even argue some of the ones today that it was hard to even say, well, tell what was happening. Um, and again, it's just, you know, uh, unfortunately officials are looking to call offensive fouls this year, not just on Giannis. We're seeing, you know, officials on illegal screens. They're just looking for those calls. And so, you know, if you give them any visual excuse to make a call like that, Unfortunately, you know, you're Giannis, you're the bully, you're, you're a big target. So um, not saying it's fair, but uh, obviously that's, that's going to be a recurring theme throughout the year. And, um, you know, his, his foul numbers are pretty out of control right now. His turnovers are out of control right now. Uh, I don't know how accurate this data is, but basketball reference does have um, offensive foul numbers for by player. uh, And, uh, last year they had Giannis at 68 offensive fouls, which was a career high in 72, min- 72 games, which I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't more, you know, yeah. I, I would have thought he would have been at like one and a half offensive fouls per game. Uh, this game, this year he is came in tonight at one and a half exactly. And obviously <laughs> whether it was four or five tonight, that number only going up tonight. And so I don't know. I'd be curious to know. I, I don't know if I'm sure there's some way to figure this out, but, um, you know, whatever the record is for most offensive fouls in a season, I think Giannis is uh, probably, you know, uh, a good bet to challenge that this year. And again, some of that is just the virtue by virtue of like the type of game he plays. Like, you don't, you know, if he's not picking up offensive fouls and he's not probably playing the way he should, you know, it's kind of like an occupational hazard, just the way he attacks so relentlessly. Um, but then some of these other stuff, like, you know, some of these like slaps, I mean, the like the, the call that he got uh, fouled out in, in Miami on, that's how he picked up his fifth foul tonight as well. Just sort of slapping um, at a guy's hand who's defending him in the post. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, defenders in the post can do whatever they want, especially when they're smaller than you. The refs just aren't going to call stuff. And you do anything, the refs are, are looking for it. So, um, yeah, it's it's so frustrating to watch. We, you know, him getting called for all these bad fouls and then not being able to hit free throws when he's actually put on the line is just sort of this horrible double whammy that I guess, you know, is the only downside of what's been an incredible year. But, um, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately it doesn't cost, it hasn't cost the bucks a win here in the last week, but certainly, you know, that first week of the season, uh, some of those foul calls obviously loom very large, especially in the Miami game. Yeah. And, and you talk about, you know, potentially putting the team or, or the the fouls putting the team in, in a in a difficult position. When he picks up that fifth foul tonight, the Bucks are actually trailing ninety nine to ninety eight. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the 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 earlier foul that I mentioned that maybe he could have picked up. If if Giannis fouls out there, then this game is this game is on. Like this is going to be an interesting finish to this one. And 
it was interesting to me because you know I, I posted I tweeted a video of the foul and certainly from the TV broadcast angle it looks like complete bullshit and and I mean it is anyway like that, that's not a foul when you look at all the contact that happens in a game of basketball to call that is just it's pathetic but it is uh, also something that the league is going to be able to explain and say yeah that's a foul I mean like that that's what they're going to do like they're going to look at that and say, well, he he wiped the guy's hand away. That's a foul. And uh, Paschke and, and Steve Novak were right there at their position in the uh, on the scorers table, and that's probably why they didn't really make a fuss out of it, or there was no replay on TV for for that exact reason. That you know, complaining about that, even though, like I said, yeah, it's it's a it's a weak call. Like that that should not be an offensive foul, particularly you know, with a, a fifth foul for a guy like Giannis at that point in the game. But it's going to be something that they'll explain. But you you mentioned. Uh, some of the comments after the game. And um, it was interesting that you, you, you spoke about the way that Giannis, is, Giannis plays and he's going to be susceptible to those offensive fouls. And part of his quote, he sort of said, well, you know, like that's what Eric Bledsoe always tells me. It's okay to pick up offensive fouls because that means you're being aggressive and that's what you want, we want you to do. I'm not sure they want him to pick up five offensive fouls <laughs> in, in a game, but it's certainly to a point, yeah, you, if you're Giannis, you can't afford to go into your shell and not be aggressive there. Um, Bud obviously picked up one tech tonight. I don't know if Bud's ever been thrown out of a game. I'm, I'm sure last year he said at one point uh, before the All-Star game that, and he, we were sort of joking around about the fact that, you know, he could get thrown out of the All-Star game. And I, I'm pretty sure he said he'd never been uh, thrown out of a game, but I, I don't know. I'd have to double check that. But he picks up the tech and then Brooke Lopez after the game, uh, to the quote you referenced, he said, it's bizarre. I don't want Bud to get mad at me or to get fined, but the difference between him, him being Giannis, and the way other guys are called, I think the discrepancies between the two, it's pretty wild and mind-boggling to me. I mean, he's a tough call, obviously. I imagine he's difficult to call, but it's definitely bizarre to me. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a good quote from Brooke because this is a guy that's down low uh, going up against guys uh, night in, night out. And he's getting called for a bunch of fouls tonight that he didn't agree with. Although, to be fair, Brook Lopez, I've never seen him agree with a foul call. But, uh, you know, and then he's seen Giannis getting called for all these uh, touchy fouls. It's strange. I mean, it, it, I, I get when Giannis is, is actually fighting through contact and there might be a no call on a layup because we've spoke before. I mean, he gets fouled on every single play. It's the offensive fouls and those, those touchy offensive fouls. And the, the charge block is it's just got me like completely stunned. Like I never feel like Giannis is ever going to get a call on those. There was a no call tonight on Markinen that I I have no idea like how you don't blow a whistle there. Like it's clearly not a charge, but how you just let, <laughs> let that be a no call is puzzling to me. It's, it's, it's strange to see for a guy of his caliber. I've been a little surprised that we've only seen, I, I can only think of that one example at the Minnesota halftime play. I'm trying to think, has Bud challenged any other Giannis foul call? Um, I don't I don't really recall it. And, you know, part of the challenge is you, you can't, so at least my understanding, you can't challenge like a no call. Like if Giannis, yeah. you know, like the Markinen play where he, uh, you know, it was like it looked like a blocking call and there was a no call and Giannis falls down. Like, you know, my understanding is you can't challenge that. But, um, you know, given Giannis is just perpetually in all these block charge situations and obviously he's getting a lot of, charges called on him um i'm kind of surprised that that bud 
has not. And again, I mean, the challenge, you know, the issue is you, you know, you, you're going to, you need to take a time out to do it. Um, but I am a little surprised that, um, that he hasn't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure how many challenges he's even done this season. I think only a handful. Um, feels like most games he's not making a, a challenge of late. So part of me is just like, you know, if there's a marginal call on Giannis, um, like I said, when, when that Minnesota play got overturned, I think a lot of these these block charges, like when you put a microscope on them and you look them in freeze frame, like I, I think most of these are pretty obvious, um, you know, blocks because the guys, they're almost never in position when Giannis is going up into a shooting motion. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm a little surprised maybe that Bud hasn't, uh, hasn't done that. Cause, cause it's sort of an interesting dynamic, right? Like if you're a ref and you make a call and the coach is just all over you, like, don't you partly want to be like, so challenge it, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's, uh, it's sort of those things now, whereas like coaches may, I, I kind of wonder like psychologically where coaches like, do they almost pull back the brakes sometimes on, you know, calls that are reviewable that they don't challenge. Cause it's like, well, if you really think it's like the worst call ever, then, just challenge it. We'll, we'll reverse it. But uh, you know, the timeout aspect of it obviously is is important. Yeah, and and again, like tonight, it's kind of. I mean, that one for sure. Like the no call. Like if they went back and reviewed that, if it was possible that that could be reviewed, then clearly that ends up being a block, and and that works in your favor. Um, but yeah, the like the the real controversial one, I guess the, the fifth, the fifth foul. I mean, the problem is, I mean, you can't review that because it's just going to stand. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Even if you, you think it's a bad call, but yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is a guy, as you said, I mean, he's still getting to the free throw line a lot. It's just that you still feel like he's getting, particularly in those situations with the offensive foul calls. Um, he's been put in, in just, it, it, a no-win situation. He just seems like he can't get anything to go his way, which is again bizarre for a, an MVP caliber player. But I don't know. While we're airing our grievances, I, I know that I just want to. I just want to mention that I know Player of the Week awards like don't mean anything really in the grand scheme of things. But and the Bucks only played two games. I also understand that, Frank. But the fact that Vooch got Player of the Week. With 22 points and 10 rebounds across three games, and Giannis averaged 33, 15, and five is bizarre. I, I, I don't know, actually know who votes for these awards, and like I said, it doesn't really mean anything, but it's just worth noting how ridiculous that is. Yeah, I mean, player of the week. So, and people are curious. I mean, these are given out by by conference, um, and so Harden, you know, understandably won the West one last week, but. Uh, I have no explanation other than to say that they saw that Giannis had won one in the first week or whatever, <laughs> and they want to spread it around, I guess. Um, Cause certainly by merit. Uh, yeah. There's, there was no question who was the most dominant player in the East last week. And to be honest, there's, you know, yeah, every week. <laughs> however many weeks there are, it's probably going to be half the time, you know, you can make the case that Giannis is going to be deserving of player of the week. And uh, I guess they, they don't want to, they don't want to give them all out. Uh, don't want, don't want his mantle to be uh, too too busy, too crowded. I guess with uh, with all these random player of the week awards. But yeah, very uh, very amusing uh, that uh, that Vooch uh, gets the you know player who isn't Giannis of the week, uh, as it were, for the East. So 
I think to put a little bow on on, on this game, another Bucks now ten and three. We spoke about their road record in in yesterday's episode. Now seven and two on the road, and uh, the Celtics did beat the Suns tonight. So still half game back off off the top there, but. Uh, like we mentioned, the the Hawks up next in a couple of days or, or tomorrow by the time uh, you're listening to this. And then uh, 12 or 15 at home. So, yeah, I mean, they've just really navigated the start of the season well. But I saw you uh, tweet something this morning, Frank, about uh, I think it was the Bucks' best two-man lineups and then their worst. And I think the best was Giannis and might have been Brooke Lopez, I think. And the worst was George Hill and Ersan. And... We've been seeing such great minutes from Sterling Brown and Dante DiVincenzo. I just wanted to throw these numbers, these small sample numbers at you that I, that I just looked up uh, as we're recording here. Sterling Brown and Dante DiVincenzo have played 60 minutes together so far. Offensive rating of 118.8. Defensive rating of 65.2. For a net rating of 53.6 for Sterling Brown and Dante. Do you do you know what their actual point differential is in that in that span? Do you have that handy? Because I think that's probably the most interesting thing to look at. Like I was, I think a week ago, I was looking at the Bucks um, like lineups, and if you looked at five man lineups, which five man lineups are especially problematic because the the number of minutes are so much lower versus two man yeah. combos. Obviously, you get a much bigger minute minute sampling, so it's a better thing to look at at least now. But um, you know, it's funny looking at the five-man lineups. I think the starters were the only group that had a net differential of greater, or, you know, not net, sorry, a, an absolute differential of greater than 10 points one way or the other, which just sort of underscores, you know, that it just so little time has gone by. So, yeah. you know, you're literally talking about a, you know, three-minute stretch that could swing you from, you know, a, a plus 10 difference to a minus 10 difference, you know, just some, some guys getting hot or something like that. But, um, but yeah, this is sort of the challenge in the early season, um, trying to figure out like what's, what's actually a real trend, what, you know, what kind of makes sense. And the thing I always suggest if, if folks want to look at that, and I certainly wouldn't discourage you from looking at it. Um, but uh, when you look at like lineup data and things like that, one thing it's worth looking at is, is the, um, the team and opponent three point percentage numbers. Cause a lot of times, especially early in the yeah. season, um, the thing that drives the really kind of out of whack numbers is that, you know, teams just happen to have shot horribly against a, a lineup or that team has just like made everything, you know, for some stretch with that group. And again, there's no, when you think about it, like, I mean, again, that is descriptive of what has happened, but if you want to be predictive, which I think a lot of people sometimes will use lineup data and say, look, <laughs> the starters are plus 20 or look, this bench lineup is plus 35. Therefore, you know, that should be the starting five. Um, you know, when you try to like use that data to be predictive of what should happen in the future, then obviously if you have, you know, some very lucky, especially lucky three point shooting either for or against, it's important to kind of consider that before, uh, you know, jumping to conclusions. And again, without like hundreds of minutes of sample at least, right? Like I think you probably want, way more than that you know if you really want to decide if a lineup is you know very good very bad or something in between um but unfortunately you know for most teams that's really probably just going to be the starters if they're relatively healthy and it's hard to generally get you know really big samples with other lineups so that's why i think the the kind of two three man combos are often interesting just because those groups tend to play more together obviously by definition that you get more minutes together than you do with with five man combos 
Yeah, and and not surprisingly, for that reason, the the Bucks' uh, best three man lineup is those two with Giannis, which uh, <laughs> probably uh, probably is not going to surprise anyone. And as you touched on with the three point shooting, you talk about the Bucks' struggles from three, and Dante and Sterling are, are two guys that are that are up above forty percent and then shooting the ball uh, pretty well. So it's it's clearly going to be a factor. But yeah, I mean uh, that's that's eight wins in a row now against the Bulls. And it's funny, I, I heard Pashki at the start of the game mention, I think he said it's one of the great rivalries, and I would disagree with that. <laughs> I, would, I would say it's like a fan rivalry, you know, like uh, Wisconsin v. Chicago sports. I think that's real. But the on-court, let's be honest, the on-court Bucks-Bulls, is, it's, not a, uh, it's not a historic rivalry we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... There, there is a lot of history there. Certainly, I think as a Bucks fan, you know people who grew up going to Bucks Bulls games and the annoyance factor of Bulls fans invading the Bradley yeah. Center, uh, especially during like the period you know when like the Derrick Rose era uh, Bulls who you know tended to to beat the Bucks up and a lot of those teams really just like physically manhandled, just like offensive rebounds, just just beat the Bucks up and. You know, Rose had that one really tough step back game winner over Brandon Jennings. That was kind of it's kind of the play I remember out of that sort of era. You know that 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 game winning shot. Um, so yeah, it's it's got an added gravity just because I think of the proximity between the cities and you know the way the Bulls fans used to come up. Maybe not so much anymore, but the way you used to come to Milwaukee, and certainly the some some parallels between that and the way Cubs fans would come up to Milwaukee for Cubs Brewer series, and so. There's obviously a lot of like you know uh, tension kind of around that, uh, and and obviously there was you know there was that playoff series uh, a few years ago that ended in one of the most bafflingly large uh, margins of victory <laughs> that you're gonna find in a playoff game. That was my wedding weekend, by the way. So um, the the good news was that the they game seven would have been my wedding night, and so by losing by what 54 points or whatever it was. Uh, you know, they spared me of having that conflict on, on their wedding night. So uh, I would have happily had that conflict, but, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was pretty tough, but yeah, it's, so I don't know. It's just kind of a weird rivalry. Now I, I have not been to a Bucks Bulls game myself anytime recently. Curious people tweet at us what your, what your opinion is. It, certainly on TV, it does not seem like the Bulls fans are uh, particularly vocal. I don't know what, what it was like last year, Kane, for for you when you were at some of those games, but certainly, uh, you know, certainly seems to have lost some of its edge from when you know at least when the Bulls were good and the Bucks were bad. And I don't know how much overlap there's been between the two teams, both being good, yeah. um, because you know, let's be honest, there hasn't been much time when the Bucks have been very good. Period in the last twenty years, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a let's say a bit of a strange rivalry, if nothing else. Yeah, I noticed it was funny last year actually um, that there was, I mean, there was really no Bulls fans at FISA because I, I don't think anyone would even bother making the trip down to just get slaughtered by by Giannis. But even the games at the United Center, there was a lot of Bucks fans there. And it was funny, we would, we would talk to some of the Bucks fans that were at games and they were like, yeah, well, we, we decided to drive up for these games because it's cheaper to come to Bucks Bulls in Chicago than it is in Milwaukee, which when you think about, as you were talking about and going back over the years, it's pretty hilarious to think about. And the first Bucks game I ever went to was uh, during that Bucks Bulls series. Uh, I went to game 
three and four, and then game six as well. It was my first uh, ever trip to Milwaukee, and funnily enough, oh jeez, yeah. And I don't know, I don't know if I should admit that. Does that mean people are going to blame me for that? But uh, it was my first trip. So the first game, Bucks game, I ever saw live. They lost in in double overtime. The second game I ever seen Bucks live, Jared Bayless uh, game winner. And then the third Bucks game I ever seen live was uh, a, a franchise record uh, loss, I believe. So uh, it was pretty wild. And, you know, I actually thought that the Bucks were going to, I mean, as everyone did with all the momentum, they win game five in Chicago. I was due to fly out uh, back to Australia the day after game six. And I was like, well, I'm not leaving. There's no chance I'm leaving. So I was trying to organize how to uh, change my flight. And funnily enough, I got a phone call at halftime of game six and it was the travel agent back in Australia. And she's like, yep, changed all your flights. You've got four more days in Milwaukee. Like, have fun. And I was like, well, <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be needing to uh, head up, uh, head down the road to Chicago for, for game seven anymore. So yeah, it was kind of a funny, funny thing that happened. So they still, they, do they still use travel agents in, in Australia even today? Or did you, did you guys eventually get the internet for, for booking? <laughs> okay, well, like first that? of all, that, that is a good point you make. And that was the one and only time in my entire life that I've gone to a travel agent and it was a complete disaster. And uh, I, I basically was looking at flights online. Then I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm not really, this is really expensive. I'm going to go to a travel agent and see what she can do. And it, I don't know, for some reason it was a couple of hundred bucks cheaper. I'm like, I'm going through you, but it ended up, been the whole thing was a complete nightmare they spelled my name wrong on the booking which just caused all types of chaos and uh yeah not a great advertisement for travel agents by the way um as uh, as we're having this the clippers and thunder are going down to the wire and uh doc rivers appears to have just successfully challenged a foul call with seven seconds left that would have sent danilo gallinari to the line to uh, shoot potentially game-winning free throws. Instead, they I guess they've had it reversed. And this is an interesting question because I was like, I was always sort of thinking, like, well, what do you do, to jump ball or something like that? Uh, but they're just giving the Thunder the ball. So kind of weird. Like even though they had the, you know, the, the play overturned, uh, they, uh, they still get the ball back. So that's kind but of... Is, but did that change to a... Like did, did, the, did the call change or it was a no call? Uh, it was. It looked like it was changed to a no call. That's weird. Then I can That's kind of strange. That that's not a. Uh, yeah, as you said, a jump ball. And it looks like the Danilo uh, Gallinari then then missed the subsequent jump shot. So the Clippers are coming away with the win after Paul George hit a game-winning three with seven seconds left. But Paul George only had 17 points. What's tonight, wrong with him? So he he didn't score. You know, 45 points in 22 minutes tonight. A mortal 17 points in 29 minutes didn't take a free throw. So, yeah, there you go. By the way, the Celtics play uh, in LA against the Clippers on Wednesday, and then uh, they play. Who do they play? They play somebody good on Friday too. So, uh, will be interesting there. Potentially, uh, Bucks will be rooting for some of the good teams out west to uh, maybe help them uh, re- regain the the lead in the West. By the way. The the Bulls, the Celtics are a, uh, a full game up on the Bulls on the Bucks because they're eleven and three versus, or sorry, uh, eleven and two versus ten and three. So that's that. You mm. keep saying a half game, but that's a full game. 
Yeah, I, I'm trying to make everyone feel better about that. But um, I, again, <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate you calling me out. Uh, this is again, this is going in the memory bank. Remember when we spoke yeah. about that? Uh, Nobody's listening anymore, so it's fine. pain in the points. But uh, yeah, uh, get well, Kawhi. He hasn't played three games in a row, but. Yeah, the Bucks will be back in a couple of days. They'll take on the Hawks, who have been just uh, abysmal these uh, last few games. So the Bucks uh, will look to wrap up that three-game road trip, move to eleven and three, and then, as I mentioned, get the Camelo, get the Camelo train into into Fiserv Forum. So Frank, I, I I know you're not feeling the best, but I appreciate you jumping on. And and by the way, I spoke to Andrew Bogut on the weekend. You mentioned Brandon Jennings here in this pod. So tomorrow on the off day, there's going to be a lot of Andrew Bogut talk. And as always, he said some interesting stuff. So that's something to look out for.